And Father, I continue in worship and agree and affirm with what we sung this morning, that you are good. And we say that and quickly realize that we are not, like so many ways, in so, so many ways, by choice, out of ignorance, and sometimes just plain rebellion, Lord. And we are sorry for that. We thank you and praise you that you're good, that you even listen to us, that you let us speak to one another. And we praise you, God, that your mercies are new every morning, Lord. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And so I pray that your kindness, your mercy, your grace, your strength, your power, your love would all be with us now, now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Midland Frame. Hey, thanks. Good morning. Welcome here. My name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, we're excited to be working through this next series. We've got one more left in stu- on stewardship. And then we'll be moving into uh, a summer deal, which is fun. We do the um, journey through the book of Mark, Mr. Incredible Jesus. We encounter him and try to learn how we can grow one step closer to him every day. Just like our vision says and our mission is to enjoy, embrace, and engage. And today we're seeing what it looks like. For us who enjoy or treasure God above all else, what does that look like for us in our finances, in our relationships, and especially in our hearts? And so today we're going to get into that in Matthew chapter 6. We'll be in the 6th chapter of the book of Matthew. We're going to start in verse 19. It's a passage that is known to many who have read the scriptures before, but I think once again, as always, whenever we dive into the scripture, there will be something new to discover in some way in which God will bless and impact our hearts. And so just want to invite you on that journey with me here in the new, next few moments. For those who don't have a Bible, the words will be up on the screen. Best case scenario is to bring a Bible. If you don't have one, we'll give you one. Uh, we want you to be able to hear from God. And God's word is the primary means by which he communicates to us. We talk to him. He talks to us. We talk to him just like this. He talks to us through his word. And so we want to hear from him this morning in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. It says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth And rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For, here's a summary statement, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now different analogy, we're off of treasures onto the eye. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness. No summary statement there. We'll come back to it in just a second. Verse 24, now from eyes to masters. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other summary statement you cannot serve god and money therefore i tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or drink that'll be the bird analogy here in a second nor about your body what you will put on that'll be the flowers is 
not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Back to the food. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And now to the clothing. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, here's a summary, a big summary of those paragraphs. Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink, like the birds? Or what shall we wear, like the flowers? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But here's a big idea, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. All right, let's listen to it and see what it has to say. Now, I hopefully made a few things pop out there. But what I want to show you, and I think you pick up on pretty quickly, is there's a lot of different subjects that Jesus is addressing. He's doing it in true rabbinic style. The rabbis taught in this very neat, concise, and terse way. They used everyday analogies just like Jesus. And they also used something fancy, which is basically their form of poetry. Our poetry would rhyme, roses are red, violets are blue. Fill it in. Okay. I was giving you an opportunity, man. She's sitting only a few seats over. I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. It's okay. All right. Here's the thing. We use poetry in a rhyming way. They use poetry in a parallel way. And their parallelism um, sometimes is exactly the same. And sometimes it's the complete opposite. If it's exactly the same, it's called synonymous parallelism. If it's the exact opposite, it's called antithetical parallelism. And there's a bunch of other types too, like synthetic parallelism. There's a little bit of that in here. But basically what it's trying to do is stack things on top of each other in order to make the point and drive it home more clearly. And so hopefully we can do that here in just a second. But Jesus is talking about money and the future and anxiety and bird and flowers and clothing. But what I want to do here is sort of break that down in the big topics so it makes sense. And then we'll dive into the weeds or the lilies here in just a second. So here are the big three sections that I think this covers. They are desires, direction, and distraction. Desires, direction, and distraction. And all of that is within our heart. Like this section, we need to be careful. It talks about money. It talks about future. It talks about anxiety. But it's not all about money. It's not all about future. It's not all about anxiety. It's about our hearts. It's about our hearts. And the point or the message is that our hearts need to trust his. Our hearts need to trust his. 
And where we're challenged in that is in all these different areas because they're a big deal to us and they're hard to come by and it ain't easy and it's a little bit scary. And then the question comes up, well, do you trust me? And that's where Jesus helps us fill in the blank or helps us answer that question here in the next section. So if I were to come up with sort of my own summary statement or thesis for this message, it would be our our hearts trust his and then followed by how much? The answer would be much more, much more. Our hearts trust his. How much? Much more, therefore. So if you can remember, here's my rhyme for the day. Much more, therefore. Much more, therefore. You'll get at much of this message, and I'll show you how in just a second. But three parts, heart desires, heart direction, heart distraction. Heart desires, heart direction, heart distraction. First, heart desires. Verses 19 through 21 Um, Talk about treasure. Now, let me ask this question just for kicks and for fun. How many of you are watching the current series, The Chosen? Anybody? Yeah, good stuff. If you're not watching it, I recommend it. Super fun. It's a new take in the sense of an artistically licensed, you know, visual portrayal of the development of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's super cool. They take a little bit of license, but they get all the background stuff right. Very interesting. And they assign some personality to some of the disciples that we have very little information on. And of course, that's all extra spice that they're adding, but it's fun to see how it goes. And remember, if you remember the character Matthew, either in that series or even in what you've read of the Bible, Matthew does what for a living? He is a tax collector. Exactly right. So the first thing this tax collector starts off talking about is treasure, money, right? I mean, it's like if you're talking to a stockbroker about stock. I mean, there's something here, right? Like this thing, this guy knows a little bit about money. That's his livelihood. That's his thing. That's what he does. Like, all the time so he can calculate it right on a finger probability and all this crazy math at least that's what the chosen tells us but here's the thing jesus i can imagine imagine use your creative sanctified imagination jesus looks at matthew and he's like matthew where's your treasure and matthew could say oh well you know i got 10 percent in this and five percent in this and 15 percent in this and i expect a good return here and well we've had a little less rain and so my crop No, no. Yes, Matthew. We get it. Like, you understand how diversified your portfolio is. You you know, down to the smallest increment, where your investments are. But Matthew, that's not what we're talking about here. Different kind of treasure, Matthew. And Matthew, where your treasure is, where is it? There, your heart will be also so then there's that parallelism and you watch how it's exact i mean it's like the exact same words don't lay up treasure for yourself on earth that's one way and it describes it where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal and then the exact opposite same words but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy where thieves do not Break in and steal. See, what it's getting at here, Matthew, is where your heart is, your treasure is. What is your number one desire, man? 
we at Midland Free, we want to be a gospel-centered family, and we say we want to enjoy God and glorify him forever, sticking with the orthodox historical creeds. And some people think enjoy is just like, woo have a good time. But what the fathers and the church founders meant by enjoy was, where is your treasure? What do you delight in? What makes you most satisfied? What makes you most happy? Where is your emphasis? Where is your worth? Where is your focus? That's where your treasure is. From where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we want our treasures to be in Christ. In him and him alone. Not the gifts that he gives, but him. There is a difference. We want to love Jesus. So, Matthew, where's your heart? Number one, desires. What do you enjoy? What do you treasure? What do you delight in? Where do you value? Number two is your direction. Your direction. Now, when I went through this passage, verse 22 and 23 about the eye, those were the two verses that gave me the most trouble, trying to interpret them and get to the point. And I think, as I read different commentators, and they helped me understand that Jesus does not provide a summary statement there because his original hearers would have got it right away. Because for them, there was a saying that is somewhat similar, not exact, but somewhat similar as being like having an eye for. Like you say, oh, this person, she really has an eye for that. I mean, they just, something about them. They see it, they know it, they know how to do it, whatever it is, they have an eye for it. If that's not your thing, maybe you're, an outdoorsman and you like to go hunting and you look down the scope of a rifle or something like that and you close the other eye, what it shows you is that you have a singular eye towards something. Now, if that scope's out of focus, then it's blurry and you don't see so well, that means the light is not coming in properly and your vision or your eye is bad. That's what Jesus is getting at right here. He's talking about, okay, so you have this desire that's good, but now you need to have a direction. Now you need to have a focus. Now your eye needs to be trained on something and completely focused like with blinders on that. That's where you're going. That's the eye picture here. And then he follows it with one that sort of builds on that. And that is the master example. So you have the the treasure is the heart desire and the eye is the direction or where you're going think of it like this i was teaching one of my children how to ride a bike uh not too long ago and you know one of the funny things is when you see someone riding a bike when they're first riding you know they're riding like this right like oh you gotta say no no hang on look ahead (laughs) look ahead but there's the curb i don't want to hit the curb i don't want to hit it crash right that's what happens you got to focus on where you want to go and then you will move in that direction don't look down at the brakes or the gear shifters or the pedals or the curb or the pothole if you look in the pothole guess where you going to go that happened to me the other day i was riding out to the nature center little thing and you know the bridge is closed and there's this path and everybody's going through the path right now and i don't really have a mountain bike i've got like a different kind of bike i'm looking at it i'm like don't hit that rut don't hit that rut don't hit that rut (laughs) guess what i drove right through (laughs) The rut, you know, the eye has got to be focused. It's got to be singular. It's going to be on its path. And when it is, you're moving in the right direction. And when it's not, you go the wrong way. So too with the master thing. How many, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever felt torn? Like in different directions. Got multiple pressures on me, each pulling in the exact opposite way. 
I cannot do those two things at the same time. It's impossible. I can't be in two places at once. It doesn't make sense. And yet both of those demands, whether it's relationships or work or health or family or whatever else, those things are like pulling on you, distracting you and tearing at you. That's what it means to have different masters. And so the next one is talking about two masters and you just can't maintain that tension. You'll be pulled in multiple directions and you'll fall apart. It doesn't work. And therefore, you cannot serve both God and money. You have to serve God. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week. Like money's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. You know, it's like it's either paper or it's electronic or it's metal in and of itself. There's no moral value to it one way or another. But what God has called us to do in the great commandment is love him with all of our heart, soul and mind and strength. And when we're focused on and loving him most, we're in the move in the right direction. But we start loving other things, then we get derailed and we're going the wrong direction. So the same is true here with the examples of the eye and the masters. Like we need to love Jesus the most, have our eyes focused on him so that he is our primary direction setter. He is our master. Number one, heart desire. Number two, direction. And that takes care of treasures, the eye and masters. And number three, now we move into distractions, distractions. And this is a portion that talks about birds and flowers and the future and uh, stuff like that. So here's, here's an important point I want to make. These are the examples that Jesus gives, like food and clothing, you know, or the future. But for you, for me, it may be something totally different. Like maybe that's not it. These are just examples and they're important things because all of us deal with them we all need food we all need clothes but it may be something totally different whatever it is the message is still the same and the message is our hearts trust his for whatever it is for whatever it is so let me ask you this question now Before we get into these, and I want you to see your example in it. What is it? What is it for you right now? Got it? Hold that right there. What is it? All right. Therefore, verse 25, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, here it is, ready? Are you not of much more value than they? How much more? Much more. Remember that little rhyme? How much more? Much more. Whatever it is, whatever that thing was, God loves you more. Did you hear that? 
whatever it is, no matter how big it is, God loves you more. You see, there's a scale in our measurement of anxiety. And on one side of the scale is the problem. And the other side is God's love. And what happens is when our direction gets focused on the problem, the problem grows and looks so big that all of a sudden the problem is tipping the scale. And when we change our focus and we change our direction, we begin to look at God's love. All of a sudden we see how much bigger God's love is than anything else. We begin to realize that all of a sudden the scale goes bam. And God's love dramatically outweighs it. How much more? Much more. I envision the guy going into the locker room again. This is last week's analogy, 110%. We're carrying that a little bit further now. You know, and he says, coach, how much more do you need? Much more. Huh? How much? Much more. And all of a sudden he gets the whole troops, you know, going. And he's like, how much? Much more. How much? Much more. How much more? <laughs> go, go get them. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to say here. You know, what's the problem? Well, it's big. You don't understand, Lord. Yeah, I think he does. But it's really big. How big? Not that big. How much more? Much more. God loves you so much more. Here's, Here's the thing. This whole message, I think, boils down to this little Greek word, malon, much more. Chase it down in the New Testament and look for synonyms in the Old Testament. What you'll see... Over and over again, how many times this occurs. You know, sin abounded, but God's grace, man, how much more? How much more? So many times the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he did, what the second Adam did, so much more exceeded what the first Adam did. Much more. Okay, so I think I'm hitting that, but let's go into a few of the distractions. Um, And just remembering that food equals birds and um, lilies or clothing equals lilies. I want to jump next to one I kind of enjoy. Well, actually, let's we'll hold that one for just a second. Let's talk about the food and the clothing. Um, And we'll show first Timothy 610 because this came from last week. First Timothy 610 says this the love of money. Is the root of all kinds of evil. We got that. We kind of went there last week. If you hadn't, feel free to watch it again and follow up. And it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. And here's what I left out last week. And pierce themselves with many pains. Now, don't raise your hand. But how many of you have pierced yourselves with many pains? I know I have. A recent example, you know, when, when I came here, we, you know, we bought a house and we're trying to, you know, fix it up and do stuff. And I was show, I think at one point I even showed you pictures of one spot in my lawn that I was really proud of, you know. And then not too long after that, something happened and pfft, all that grass withered. And then this rec- recently, I had a skunk like go through my yard like a rototiller. <laughs> I mean, whatever was there once is gone now. I'm like, oh. And I look at it and say, man, I did that to myself. You know, we put all this energy, effort, investment, work, time, money into that. And then, and now I feel bad about it. But why? I did that to me. I pierced myself. 
I pierced myself. My brother works at a boat factory. Here's one for you. You ready? He says to me, this guy who works at a boat factory, you know the two best days of a man's life? You know what they are? When he buys the boat and when he sells the boat. Exactly right. Because you think, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to have my own boat. It's going to be so awesome. And you work and you save and you scrimp. And all of a sudden you get it. And then you're like, oh my goodness, what did I get myself into? And it's work and it's effort. And all of a sudden your hobby is very heavy. And it weighs down your heart. And it's a burden that you think about. And the hobby is no longer any fun. But it is trouble. Look at how Jesus says it in Luke chapter 21, verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts get weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, like food, clothing, money, shelter, hobbies. And that now he talks about the end time stuff. And that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth but stay awake at all times praying the preacher says amen stay awake (laughs) praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the son of man we pierce ourselves with many pains our hearts get weighed down we may have a desire and a direction But once we start looking to the left or the right, all of a sudden we're distracted and we hurt ourselves. So what does that mean? Well, practically speaking, here's a really good way to get rid of those pains is to get rid of them. Like we're a church and we ask you to give. Obviously, we have needs, right? Like we got to turn the lights on. We got to pay our bills. It works like that. But the big reason for giving is not to turn the lights on or pay the bills, but to help us grow closer to Jesus. And by releasing those things, by living with an open hand, then what happens is those burdens like go away. The less you have, the less you have to take care of. The less you have to clean up, the less you have to manage. The more you get rid of, the less work you have to do. And so when you give, you're actually freeing yourself of those burdens and you're more free to serve God. So what am I saying? Sell everything and live in a box? Not necessarily. Jesus understands there are different callings on different lives at different times. It may be the case that you need to sell all and go somewhere. Fine. It may not be. But the point is, is don't get distracted by the gifts and lose your affection for the giver. Food and clothing are important, but the thing is, is we have to trust his heart that he will provide for us. If we don't, then we get anxious. The word here, anxiety, actually is similar to that master thing. It actually means, in the original language, drawn in different directions or divided. The Greek form of the verbal command is a present active imperative, which means stop worrying. It's not like don't worry like you might start. It recognizes that we are in the state of worry and we need to stop. Stop 
worrying. Do you know why? It is an affront to God. It's actually an affront. And that's why in this passage, it refers to the Gentiles and says, look, don't be like them in verse 32, for your heavenly father knows you need these things. What's the reference to the Gentiles? Is this ethnic? No. What it's comparing is believers and unbelievers. In other words, of course unbelievers worry. They don't have a God to provide for them. It's all on them. If there's no God, boy, they better worry. They better hope. If it doesn't work out right, they're in big trouble. But if there is a God, then what do we have to worry about? You see, in our world, bad things happen. We get that, right? Like this week, the supply chain was disrupted by a cyber attack. And all of a sudden, East Coast is going, oh my, do we have any gas? We get it. But God's supply chain cannot be disrupted. There's no cyber attack on Jesus and his angels. There's spiritual warfare, yes, but the battle has been won. Jesus wins, and as a result, we can truly affirm that God is in control, and God is good, and Jesus wins, and everything's going to be okay. So one commentator says it like this. Here's the implications of anxiety. He says, Robert Mount says, worry is practical atheism. He says, it's atheism. You are not believing in God, that there is a God, that he will come through and that he will provide for you. But what Daryl Bach says is that the God who gives life can easily sustain it. Now, let me just throw in a little caveat. I understand there are chemicals in our body. We're holistic creatures. There's physiological function. If your thyroid or your hormones or other things are out of whack, that's a real thing. That you have to deal with. I'm not saying that if there's some sort of chemical imbalance, you should ignore it. I'm saying that's real and deal with it. Please talk to your doctor. But what I am saying is what I'm dealing with right now, what I believe scripture is dealing with is the heart. And we're talking about heart issues. And where do you place your trust, your affection, and your love? For where your treasure is, your heart be also so worry is a big deal but god is there and we can trust him now so malone how much much more and the next one i want to point out in verse 25 is the word therefore therefore um this is a little bit like the feudal system now i know that that's kind of not a good thing but hear me out there are lords and there are knights and the agreement there is that the Lord is rich and wealthy and has everything you need. And if you choose to serve him, then he will provide for you. That's the agreement between a Lord and a knight. That's the feudal system. Now, obviously with God, we're not under a feudal system, but we are under a covenant. And God's covenant to us is very similar. He says, look, I love you more than you can ever imagine. And as a result, our hearts need to trust his that he will provide for us. Back it up just a little bit. Just before this is what we call the Lord's Prayer. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Exactly right. And thus comes in the analogy of the birds. All right, let me connect these here as best I can. 
Um, when we want to trust God, what we naturally long for is the barns and silos and portfolios that are full. God never promises that. But what he does promise to provide is your daily provision. And that's why we pray for our daily bread. And we trust him for the future. But what we're asking for is provision for today. So too the birds. The birds are not lazy bums that sit back and wait for seeds to rain down from the sky. They're very industrious creatures. They work 24-7. I mean, not 24-7, but they work a lot. You look at a hummingbird and how much it flaps its wings, but they don't have storehouses and barns and buildings and portfolios, etc. So the point here is this. So when you look at these distractions of food and clothing, anxiety and the future and all the things that weigh us down and cause us pain, we need to release those to God and say, God, I will trust you for today. I will trust your heart. Whatever it is that I am afraid of or concerned about or anxious, Lord, I'm going to trust you to get me through this day. Give us this day our daily bread. How much more? God loves you more than anything we're concerned about. So last one I want to show you real quick before I close is this, this fun stuff in verse 34. Um, One more fun point on uh, literary stuff and it's this there's a word called personification now it sounds like a big word but you know the word person right everybody know the word person knows the word person good personification is just to make something that's not a person a person so for example if you read a psalm and the psalm says uh, the mountains will shout for joy or the trees will clap their hands We know that trees don't have hands and mountains don't shout. But we get the literary beauty of the passage that's saying that all of creation calls out and sings praises to God. That makes sense. So too with Jesus in this passage when he talks about tomorrow. Jesus is personifying tomorrow. Let me give you a little example. In seminary, a long time ago, I worked at UPS facility I worked at would move up to 300,000 packages a night. So there's a lot of moving parts. You know, there's semi-trucks, there's conveyor belts, there's drivers, there's managers, there's clerks, there's package handlers, there's all these different sorters and different things. Everybody had a job. My job was a clerk. I had to make sure that reconciled different address issues. But my job was not to make sure there was enough gas in the vehicle. My job was not to get in the back of the semi-truck and unload the packages. My job was not to interact with the drivers and make sure they had every neat thing they needed for the route. My job was to make sure those addresses were correct. So my boss could rightly say to me, hey, you do your job. Don't worry about that one over there. Don't worry about that one over there. That's exactly what Jesus is doing with the term worry. I see this as a comical piece like you would see somewhat in the uh, chosen where his disciples are wondering and they're asking him questions. They're like, Lord, what about this? What about that? And so what about these big problems we're about to have? And Jesus says to him, hey, guys, don't worry about those problems. Let tomorrow worry about that. 
That's not your job. It's tomorrow's job. You know, I heard a few chuckles. That's good. You get it. Like, the idea is, it's tomorrow's job to worry. It's not our job to worry. That's tomorrow's job. Don't try to do tomorrow's job. You do your job and don't worry about anything else. Your job is to trust Jesus and let that other stuff take care of itself. So, all this to say, here's how I'd summarize it. Therefore, much more. How much more? Much more. How much more? Much more. As you're going through this week, there's a problem in your life. It pops up. Like, this is a big one. Starting to tip the scale. The question is, how much more? Much more. Whatever it is, God loves you more. Whatever it is, God loves you more. Whether it's food, clothing, shelter, future, hobbies, anxieties, whatever it is, God loves you more. Therefore, may your heart's desires be on him. May your eyes' direction be focused on him. And may the distractions that come your way stay out of the way. Whatever it is that God, that whatever it is, God loves you more. How much more? Much more. Father, we thank you and praise you for today. Thank you for your love for us and for Jesus, your son, and all that he did. Lord, I certainly fall short of his glories in many ways every day. Thank you for his kindness that leads us to repentance. Thank you for his grace. Thank you for his provision. Lord, I pray that you would help me to trust him for my daily bread, uh, for my daily strength, for my daily emotions, uh, for all those things, Lord, that we need as real people. I would trust in you. Lord, you love us more. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So.